five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh from the WDMA. We're talking about marketing and mail today. Here we go. So Tom Fishburne says, 20 years of marketunist and the evolution of marketing. And so he starts out with, consumers will always pay attention to our ads in the 80s. Consumers will visit our brand if we just make it a dot com. <laughs> There's something to that back in the 90s. Consumers want to be our friends and like us on Facebook. Yeah, we, we were all about likes, if you remember that. Uh, and then Facebook changed the game and didn't show <laughs> didn't show me the M&M's posts even when I liked the M&M's. Consumers want us to follow them with their personal data. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. And then finally, now consumers want to hang out with our brand in the metaverse. <laughs> Were any of these ever true? Eh, maybe this one was true for a while and this one a little bit for a while. Um, so Tom says, last Friday marked 20 years of marketunist. On October 21st, 20, or 2002, I published my very first marketing cartoon, okay, then called Brand Camp, which I think is something that big companies do they go they take all their employees to brand camp uh and it was a cartoon on the eight types of brand managers which i did go get just for your entertainment okay the first is the artist we need growth rate that calls for an ideation okay which is a word i just hate <laughs> but anyway group thinking for for I got it for everything. Always late to meetings, the artist. So he, what do you think? The number cruncher. I love the smell of Nielsen in the morning. Finds a regression for everything. I like that one. Rarely leaves his desk. The proctoid, which is funny because I think Fishburne worked for Procter & Gamble for a while. That's not how we did it at P&G. Can't function without process. May be brainwashed. The reservist. There is no I in team. There is me. <laughs> Anyway, I better not have that. Takes leadership role very seriously. Frequently military, frequent military analogies. The consumer advocate. Well, if I was a six-year-old Hispanic boy, I'd want. Bases decisions on personal assumptions about consumer behavior. The masochist. I didn't get this one. Still better than iBanking. Works nights and weekends for no apparent reason. The sadist, this was even funnier. I forgot to mention I need this by Monday at 8 o'clock. Pushes others to work nights and weekends for no apparent reason. And the politico, have we met yet? I'm blank. Plays tennis with senior management, always gets the choice assignments. Okay, so that was his very first cartoon. So he said, uh, I emailed this first cartoon to 35 co-workers from my cubicle on the fourth floor, linking it to a newsletter sign-up. I imagined this marketing cartoon series would be mainly for my co-workers in the office, but I soon started hearing from people working in marketing in a wide variety of companies all over the world. I learned we all share similar stories and experiences in this funny marketing industry of ours and business in general. Marketing is constantly in a state of flux with an endless stream of shiny new, con new things to distract us. But the more things change, the more things stay the same. Over the years, I've loved this communal feeling that we are all figuring it out together. I never imagined that this cartoon would have lasted 20 years. 
and certainly not that it would evolve into my career. I kept drawing as I worked at different companies, General Mills, Dryers, Ice Cream, Nestle, Method Products. Maybe he didn't work at P&G. I think Ritson did for a while, or he consulted there. In October 2010, I made the leap to focus on Marketoonist full-time. I mostly want this cartoon series to be a reminder not to take ourselves too seriously, and I think that laughing at some of the funny things in marketing can help us become better marketers. Yep, I think that's probably right. He's going to send some more out of his favorites. Here's that brand manager one. Here's one in 2008. Step right up, folks. It cures all ailments. Snake oil salesman. It slices, it dices, but wait, there's more. TV admin. It's probably pretty similar. <laughs> I'm Gonzo for Gonzo Pops. Equity characters. These, te these tarot chips are baked by Sherpas. Authenticity hawkers. And I just found out that I just found the coolest brand, Consumer Advocates, or what we would call influencers now. Um, and here's my favorite. Making the Leap, October 2010. What if I fail? He's got a like a flying machine contraption what if it's a crazy idea what if i'm not ready what if i should test it again what if hey where did the runway go yeah now you're and that's the right that's the way it is you leap off into space so i was very proud of my daughter kate today or friday we i i watched as she got her ein number and a bunch of other stuff and got officially incorporated and started her business officially incorporated. She'd been doing consulting for a couple of years. I explained to her back in COVID that it was a great time to make the leap if she wanted to. And she just got a new good quality client. And um, now I just have to tell her to keep looking for more because all assignments eventually end. Okay, so now I'm going to get over to a, an article that I've been wanting to get to all last week. Increasing direct mail response with behavioral science. Okay, part one. Behavioral science sounds impressive. And that's from my friend Summer Gould. Are you ready to skillfully apply the principles of human behavior to your direct marketing, direct mail marketing messages to gain a competitive advantage? And not to belittle the science, but if you're interested in this topic, one book you should definitely read is called Scientific Advertising by Claude Hopkins, who was one of the great copywriters of the early 20th century. His book is just coming up, I think it, I think it was published first published in 1923, so it's just coming up on the 100-year anniversary. It's available at scientificadvertising.com and for free as a PDF, and you can even get an audio version, which I highly recommend. I spent the $10 to pop for that, and you get a whole bunch of other books along with it. But anyway, um, so this isn't anything new, and in fact, in the book, Claude Hopkins says it isn't anything new. He borrowed everything he knew from the direct mail industry that been that had been testing this stuff for 50 years, and so... But it needs to be reset to every new generation. Um, people default. People default to hardwired behaviors without giving them a thought. And another book I'd recommend is Thinking Fast and Slow. Excellent about about why our brains and why we make decisions the way we do. We can use that to drive the response, drive them to the response we want, up until a point, unless they really don't need it. 
we can use that okay we can use those behavior triggers to help them buy our product or service leading to better direct mail results now one point i also wanted to make was and, and i'm just starting to appreciate this after 40 years uh, direct mail forces decision making. I, I put I added that into to, to Summer's article. What I mean by that is is that when you have a stack of mail, so I was watching my wife. I brought her a huge stack of mail uh, on Saturday. I said, "Well, we didn't get much," and she's like, "Uh." Anyway, and you know, I watched her take a few minutes to go through each piece of mail and throw most of it out. Yes, that's true. But it forces you to make a decision. You can't just, I mean, you can delay the decision. You can set it aside to read later. But you have to decide whether you want to keep it or you want to toss it. No other advertising works like that. You know, if you figure, if you have radio or if you have TV, you know, or if you have outdoor and you're, and you're driving along a freeway, you know, I don't think I've ever seen anybody pull over and take a picture of a billboard or something. I'm sure people have, but, you know, mostly we just motor on by, which means no extra work to get rid of the ad, right? It goes away on its own. TV, radio, mass media, internet. Now, some of the pop-ups and stuff, you have to actually click to get rid of them or something or change to a new browser page. But most of them do get rid of themselves on their own. But mail, you're forced into making a decision. Okay, so it's not just it's not just a visual engagement; it's tactile. But it's also it also forces you to decide what to do with it. Okay, so summer goes on. We we will focus on the decision making process in part one, which is this this part one. Uh, that people use both the rational and emotional parts of their brain to make decisions. And again, that's, this is really, really tied into in thinking fast and slow. Our brain will do almost anything to avoid using math. <laughs> it, for some reason, consumes a great deal of, of carbohydrate power. It, it consumes a great deal of energy to do math uh, and that kind of serious thinking. So buying decisions are made first by emotion and then later justified with rational reasons or later rationalized <laughs> with justifiable reasons or whatever. Anyway, so you take your takeaway is to create your direct mail message to first grab their emotion and second, give them rational reasons, <laughs> which seems redundant to me, to justify the purchase. Okay, so as you're writing your copy, keep in mind that emotion drives action and reason leads to conclusions, or mostly conclusions lead to reasons. <laughs> anyway, so last week, my daughter called me and showed me a little piece of a mailer she got, and it showed her voting history, that she had voted in 2022, but it said she hadn't voted in 2020. And... uh she was all upset because she remembered voting in 2020. And she said, are they undoing my voting history? Well, in the state of Wisconsin and many other states, you can look up your voting history. In fact, I looked up hers because I knew her birthday. And I said, no, it, the, your real voter history is fine. You, you voted a lot. I said, but what that was, was a, was a mass mailing that shows everybody not voting in 2020 
and it is it's meant to get your attention and meant to get your anger up probably i said that is emotion and now you have to read the now you have to read the rest of it to see what they're up to right which is exactly what she did she said well if they were trying to get out the vote that made me want to never vote if they don't can't keep track or what are they disallowing my vote i said you know calm down <laughs> it got a really emotional okay so uh you know you can how can we create emotion you can showcase how they'll feel to save time and effort by using your product or service tell a story about how someone's life improved um choose pictures and colors that elicit emotion make them feel special with your special offer uh show a large group of happy people now this one is the bigger one a painful situation that can be avoided you know my I, I tried to get Mary and Merrill Dow, the pharmaceutical company. They were, uh, Cardizim was going off patent. And so uh, I said, maybe, how about Cardizim users, read this ad or drop dead? <laughs> That'd get emotional. <laughs> But anyway, that's from David Ogilvy's book. If you're going to have liver treatment, mention if you suffer from liver ailments in the headline anyway fear of harm and loss may be the most powerful um one of my friends who had been in advertising for a, a lifetime said you have to back the hearse up to the door and the idea there was an all-state ad i think it was all-state or one of the insurance companies where they were taking the the you know the grand or the mantle clock off the mantle above the fireplace and the the husband was doing it and it basically said if your mortgage depends on your wife's income and she passes away would you be able to keep your house good question that's that's this back your back the hearse up to the door so that you know if something happens are you prepared for that and that's probably the most powerful the fear of loss okay so better prices alone are not enough to motivate a purchase you need emotion to drive it Also, there's another thing that generates emotion, why mail is more powerful than other media. Touch implies ownership in the fine print, but all these are available at WDMA.org shortly after each program, all marked up for you. You just have to subscribe, which is free, and then you have access to the members only section. So touch implies ownership. You feel like you've already owned it. So I've got a Land's End mailer right here, and... It's got pictures of coats, and it's got a heck of an offer. They, there's an offer on the back that says, One Warm Coat Drive. Uh, donate a coat and get 50% off a new one. That's a heck of an offer, right? That's a heck of an offer. My goodness. Anyway, just holding it and seeing a picture of the product gives you the same kind of mental trigger as, as owning it and someone trying to take it away from you. So throwing it in the... Throwing it in the trash then is emotionally draining. You can struggle with that. Okay, use a story to paint a picture of what it's like to experience using your product or service. And as I said, even the tactile connection with that picture of an item gives you an emotional response. Okay, use images that shows, show a person eliciting the emotion you want to generate. Our brains respond as if we are experiencing that emotion. Uh, same thing. Finally, provide reasons 
Providing reasons to buy is critical if you want your direct mail to drive a purchase. Give them a reason even if it's a silly one. <laughs> right? Okay, it'll look better than your your it'll look better than your old car. It'll make your house look better if you have this car in front of it. And lastly, have fun with your direct mail and reach out to Summer if you need help with direct mail marketing. I'm John Miglosh. Have a great day. Don't like, share. Share the article and good things will come to you. We're just making this up. Bye-bye.